This is Worth Repeating from Texas Public Radio. Real stories told by your neighbors and friends and recorded live in San Antonio. I'm Andrea Vocap Sanderson, San Antonio Poet Laureate. Our episode today is about tough conversations in the weight of words. We asked you to send us stories about times when you have had the talk with someone, any kind of talk, whether it be about family or work or romance. The first story is from Lindsay Nave. After she graduated college, she wanted to travel the world. She knew that her family, especially her mom, weren't ready to let her go and that sooner or later she would have to break the news that she was leaving the nest. There's a story about me that my mom loves to tell. When I was about three or four, I was throwing a tantrum and she got eye level with me and said, Lindsay, I'm the mama. I'm always going to win. Now go to your room. Do not stomp up the stairs. Do not slam your door. And I don't want to hear you crying. So me being the child that I was stomped up the stairs, slammed the door, opened the door and cried as loudly as I could. My mother went to the kitchen to do the dishes in front of the windows so that if the neighbors heard me, they would know that all of this crying and carrying on was my own accord. After a while, I came downstairs, got quiet, and went to where my mother was at the sink. And I said, Mom, and she said yes, thinking I was going to apologize or to say something sweet. And I said, I may not always win, but I'm always going to keep trying. At this point, my mother would laugh and say, you know, that's a great attitude to have with the world, but not with your mom. Now, as an adult, that stubbornness and the determination to do things my own way has manifested itself in some decisions that my family wasn't exactly thrilled about. In July 2015, I moved back to my hometown after three and a half years of teaching English to elementary students in South Korea. Now, my family was happy, thrilled to have me back. Um, I had been gone a very long time. I had missed birthdays. I had missed family events, um, holidays. I missed years of my nieces and nephews growing up, and my family was happy to have me back. I also was happy to be back um, and be around my family, but it was more complicated than that for me. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I felt pretty lost. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I was back in my childhood home people I grew up with all had marriages and careers and, and kids and and I just felt really lost. So I went introspective. You know, what is it that I want? What is it I want to do? What's next? And I realized that I wanted to help people and I wasn't done traveling yet. So even though I knew my family probably wouldn't be happy, I went ahead and broadened my job search to include international opportunities. Now, I have this habit of always trying to say yes more often than I say no. And uh, it's gotten me in some pretty cool adventures. And uh, in the spirit of that, I came across an opportunity that I applied for, working for an organization that embraces holistic education um, with individuals living in refugee camps located in the Middle East, specifically in occupied Palestinian territory. I applied. And then, sure enough, they offered me the job. Now, November 2015 is an important time to talk about. Um, there was violence kicking off in the Holy Land. 
it was common on the nightly news that we would watch after my parents got home from work to see military tanks like rolling through the streets of Bethlehem and seeing Palestinian men and young young boys with, with rocks facing off against a military with automatic weapons. And I knew that me going abroad again was going to be an issue. But the fact that I was going to occupy Palestinian territory put a whole nother level of fear um, into that situation. One evening, I noticed my mother doing dishes at the sink. And so I went and stood next to her. And I told her about this opportunity that I had uh, to go for three months as a consultant to see if I was a fit for them and if they were a fit for me. And if things went well, I would have a one-year contract. And then I told her the location. She stopped doing dishes. She dried her hands. And she left the room without a word. I mean, what, what did I expect? What did I want her to say? I, I wanted her to say that she was proud of me. I wanted her to say that I was doing really good work, important work that was making a difference, um, that I wasn't allowing fear to rule my decisions, that she understood why it was important to me, uh, for me to go. We didn't talk for a few days, which is tricky when you live together. And after a couple of weeks of watching the news, but not saying anything and decorating the house for Christmas, fully knowing that I would not be there to celebrate. I left and I moved to the Middle East where I spent the first of three Christmas seasons in the Holy Land. Now, transition to a new job is always a bit rocky, but I also had to learn the culture. I had to learn how to navigate language. I had to do all this very quickly um, with the addition of thinking about safety um, and how to navigate military-occupied space, not just for me, but for the interns that I was responsible for. Now, I do want to make it clear, like my parents' fears were not unfounded. Um, there was a lot of violence happening in the area, but it was never directed at me. And one of the things I talked to my, my interns about is that the fact that I had an American passport and the fact that um, I look like I do would often make people safer um, if I was there because the military wouldn't want to kick anything off. I didn't put much on social media about my life during that time um, due to the sensitive nature of the work I was doing. And I also found myself censoring myself for our conversations with my family, not because I didn't want them to know what was happening, but because I didn't want to instill more fear in them that I, I couldn't do anything about. The result of this is that there's a two and a half year time of my life that my family knows very little about what I was doing or what happened. And that makes me sad. So after three contracts and two and a half years, I moved back stateside and this time got a job. I moved to San Antonio uh, to accept the position that I currently have. And even though it is 15 hours away from my family, it's on the same side of the ocean. Um, so I think we're all pretty happy about that. You know, building connections when you're so far apart is really hard. My mom's method of doing that was to send me care packages. In Korea, those were my favorite snacks or little gifts for my students and photos. In Palestine, I didn't have any mail service, um, so that wasn't an option. But since I've been in San Antonio, my mother has picked up this habit again. Of all the care packages she sends, my favorite ones have to be the ones with the crossword puzzles in them. The summer between um, my time in Korea and the time I went abroad again, my grandmother, my mother, and I developed a routine. My grandmother would look at articles and magazines. My mother would do the Sudoku, and I would do the crossword puzzle. 
Well, now my mother saves the crossword puzzles, staples the answer key to the back of it, fills an envelope, and then sends it to me. Every time I laugh, I cry. Um, it's just an envelope full of love. You know, I think that sometimes the biggest messages don't require spoken word at all. The truth can hurt, but sometimes sharing that secret is the first step on the path toward healing. After breaking her silence, Hannah Tarr harnessed the power of her words to speak up for herself and speak out for other survivors. It felt like hundreds of angry bees were swarming underneath my skin all the time. I was so angry. I was so irritated. I was constantly snapping at my friends and my family, and that's not like me at all. You know, I would spend hours on the phone with my mom every single day. I'd call home. Um, my friends, I was living in Chicago at the time by myself. I'd been out there for about seven or eight years by this point, and my friends out there became my family. and. I was so mean to them. I just wanted to fight all the time. I was so angry. This one day, I'm in a cafe and I'm doing homework, which was already overwhelming and stressful because I was failing three of my classes, which is very unlike me because I'm on academic scholarship and school is everything to me. And um, my mom calls me and I can feel those bees swarming inside and I pick up what? She's like, I'm just checking in. I can tell something's off. Nope, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. She goes, Hannah, please talk to me. I can tell something's wrong. No, mom, I'm fine. Click. Now the bees are really angry and my skin feels like it's on fire, but my blood is now made of ice and I can feel every single thing touching my body. I can feel the air around my ears. I was incredibly anxious. This huge wave of energy and anxiety and panic sets in. And the only person that I want to call to make it go away is my mom. So I call her. And before she can even say anything, my eyes are already welling up with tears and the bees are stuck in my throat. And I said, Mom, I need help. And that was the day that I revealed to my mom, my three siblings, and my father that a month prior, I had been sexually assaulted and almost murdered by a rideshare driver. You know, with my mom, I didn't mean to. I didn't, I didn't like plan this out. It wasn't that I wasn't going to tell them because I was, I knew that I had to eventually. I just hadn't yet had the conversation with myself of what happened. You know, I hadn't come to terms with it really of saying like, yeah, you survived that. That's like a new level of like things that we were aware that humans could do. I mean, you know that humans can do awful things from like what the news and what we watch on Law and Order and stuff like that. But it's different when you are, I was going to say in the driver's seat, but I wasn't. I was in the passenger seat. Terrible joke. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's different when it's happening to you. 
I just hadn't had that conversation of, Hannah, you were violently assaulted and almost murdered by this person. So when I told my mom, she was the first person I told besides my friends in Chicago. It was like a tell-all, which wasn't purposeful. I just, everything just happened. Everything just came out. And she knew every detail. I told her everything. And I could tell that she was most upset that because she's my mother and because I'm 3,000 miles away in Chicago, that she couldn't protect me. I could tell that that part hurt her the most. I told her about my amazing detectives and investigators that were on my team that were doing an incredible job. And I could tell that that helped ease her anxiety. But from the jump, she was on board. Whatever I needed, she was there. So I hung up with her and called my big sister, who's my person. This woman is my person. And um, she knew about the time. Unfortunately, this isn't the first time that something like this had happened to me. Um, so she knew about a time that happened while I was in college 10 years prior. And then she also knew about a year before this incident, um, another rideshare driver had attacked me. So I told her very delicately, very cautiously. Um, but I told her the way that you would a best friend. But I just took very gentle care of her while telling her. And I could tell that she was also very upset, but like didn't know what to say yet. She hadn't digested it yet. And then with my little sister, I made it a teaching moment by saying, hey, this happened. Unfortunately, it happens a lot. So just be cautious, be careful. And with my brother, I wasn't very close with him, not for anything bad. We just have never really like connected um, like pretty deeply, but I told him pretty awkwardly and apologetically, and I could tell that he didn't really know what to say, but he was sorry. And my dad, him and I have a very tumultuous relationship, but the way that I told him was just that everything's fine, I'm fine, I'm handling it, it's all good, we're good, which could not have been further from the truth. But you know what I noticed though is they all knew that something was wrong, and then once I told them, as awful as the news was, they were grateful that I told them. And I was grateful to tell them because those bees, I keep going back to this metaphor of bees, but that's really how it felt. Those bees underneath my skin are now being transferred. So they took over some bees. But then I was contacted by Mary Claire Magazine and me and 23 other survivors of rideshare assaults told our story. And that took away a lot of bees. Every person I connect with on this, on these unfortunate circumstances, it just helps me and the other person realize that you're not alone, unfortunately. And I just hope that they find strength and solace in speaking to friends, to family, to police, to therapy. Oh my God, I love therapy. To therapists. And so if you're listening and this has happened to you, I hope that, uh, I hope this helps. And if you're just a listener, well, uh, thanks for taking some bees off my hands. <laughs> As a child, 
Rosemary Levar was taught that God loved her, that he was always there for her. So why couldn't she see him? When doubts crept in, young Rosemary decided to do the most logical thing she could think of. Ask him herself. It was a beautiful spring day in San Antonio. The wide blue Texas sky was cloudless, except for the thin white streaks left high in the sky from the jets flying in and out of Lackland Air Force Base. I was six and at home because my birthday's in October and we missed the September cutoff date for first graders in the fall. We lived on a double lot that my grandma Lupe owned off of 36th Street on the west side. Mama did laundry outside behind the house. The little room or cuartito was attached to the back of the house, but that's where the washing machine lived. It smiled with its mean looking rollers, ready to eat fingers, hands, and arms if you weren't careful. Ooh. The double tinas held the rinse water, one for clear and one for water with Clorox, and it sat right outside the opening. As mama did the wash, I busied myself picking wildflowers and looking for horny toads. I sat on the dusty ground close to a small hole. I watched in amazement at large red ants as they entered and exited their underground homes. I sure love to watch them and imagine what all of that looked like. I sure wish I could speak Ormiga so I could ask them, do you ever get a chance to play or is it always just work, work, work? As I began to ponder on the nature of things, the flowers and animals, the sky and grown-ups and me, my thoughts turned to God. I mean, who are you really? What are you made of? Where are you? Everywhere. Okay, then why can't I see you? Ever since I could remember, I had conversations with God. When I was five, I was so proud of the fact that I learned all of the Our Father. Then I learned the lyrics to my favorite song, Ray Charles, I Can't Stop Loving You. I thank God for helping me with both those things, but now somehow doubt began to creep in. I mean, I still believed in Santa, of course, because, well, I saw him every year in the department stores. And anyways, where'd all those toys come from? I mean, my parents spent all year telling us how we couldn't afford things. So all these toys had to come from someone. And the tooth fairy, now I know she's real. I mean, like my dad would give us money. Psh, you don't know my dad. And the Easter bunny, well, he actually appeared to me once as a puka, but that's another story. But good old God, huh? I felt the warm air blow through my long scraggly hair that I kept out of my face with a white plastic hairband. I imagined the ants saying their excuse me's as they passed politely by each other, carrying crumbs and junk. But back to God, huh? Maybe, do I even think it? I began to argue with myself. Maybe, don't. There's even, no oh God, think it. Oh, I thought it. I sucked in my breath immediately and I looked up to the sky. Nothing happened. I thought it felt a bit bolder now. All right, I'll say it. You know what? Maybe you're not real, God. Maybe, maybe I've just been talking to myself all this time. 
Maybe God's just something that grown-ups made up to scare little kids into doing good stuff and, and, and to just make us behave. I began to feel duped, angry even at the thought. I watched my mom across the yard. She was hanging bright white sheet socks and whitey tidy calzones on the line. Then she would prop up the sagging lines full of clothes with a long pole that had a bent nail at the end, like a hook that would catch the line and elevate it. And that made our clothes look like they were at standing at full sail. You know, in cartoons and TV shows, they always use the same gag. Someone would say, may God strike me down if I'm lying. And then boom, they'd be burnt toast. I mean, was it a lie? Or did they say it so often because maybe sometimes it really happens. I began to cry. Half of me felt like I was betraying a friend and the other half felt like that friend was betraying me. Was I ready to die for my beliefs or lack thereof? I think so. Sure. I looked over at Mama again, thinking in my heart, this may be the last time I see her, but I just had to know. I really started crying then. I felt all sweaty and shaky and scared. I decided that I really needed to get God's attention. So I thought of the worst thing I could do. But do I dare? I turned away from Ma and I made a fist. My little brown hand was trembling. And then I brought it out. My middle finger. Well, if God's not real, nothing will happen to me, right? And if God is real and I get struck down, well, heaven's supposed to be a pretty nice place, ain't it? Goodbye, flowers. Sky and wind. Adios, hormigas. Goodbye, mommy. I love you. And what felt like my last ounce of strength, I raised that middle finger straight up skyward in a dare. Here I am, answer me. I whisper screamed. I fully expected to hear a loud clap of thunder and I fully expected to be struck down by a bright hot bolt of lightning that would have left this skinny little brown girl with long scraggly hair in the form of a little black smoldering piece of chicharron. Of course, with a piece of melted plastic left on my skull where my hairband had been. But nothing happened, nothing. The day remained as it had been. A nice warm breeze continued to blow. The ants continued on their way. And my mama, beautiful as ever and hardworking, was now calling me in for lunch. I decided at the time that I still wasn't quite sure if God existed or not, but I knew that if he is real, he must really love me because he was being an awfully nice guy for letting me throw the finger at him and not even getting mad at me. I wiped my tears and dusted myself off and headed inside for lunch. As I adjusted my hairband, I looked up towards heaven towards the blue sky with the high white streaks, now looking as faint as I felt, as I sheepishly said, sorry, friend.
The storytellers you just heard received guidance from story coaches Kim Johnson and Ben Henry. Production assistance from Rob Martinez and Kyle Perez. The podcast is produced by Ben Henry. Bobby Salucci is Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Dan Katz is News Director. Joy Slocum is President and CEO. If you have stories to tell or you know someone with a great story, get in touch with us at tpr.org. I'm Andrea Vocab Sanderson. Thanks for listening.